Let's open our Bibles, please, to the book of Romans, the 14th chapter. And we'll go into the 14th and go as far as we can, if we get there, into the 15th chapter. But if we'll look in the 14th chapter, I might give you three points in this chapter to keep in mind as we study it verse by verse. The first section that you'll find is verses 1 through 6, the believer in his relation to the weak in faith. You know, the weak in faith or, uh, should be our concern as well as the strong in faith. And it says the believer's, what we're studying is the believer's relation or in his relation to the weak in faith. That's verses 1 through 6. And then in verses 7 through 9, the believer and his example and influence. The believer has an example to set and he has an influence. And then in verses 10 through 13, that's on down, we find the believer and uh, judgment of his Christian brother. The judgment of his Christian brother. I said there were three points. That was in the the previous chapter, by the way, and I, I should have said there or more than that here. I believe there's uh, another one yet, one or two. But anyway, verses 10 through 13, you'll find uh, the believer and judge, the judgment of his Christian brother. And then uh, verses 14 through 23, so there's four here. Uh, is the believer a stumbling block to others? The believer as a stumbling block. He can be a stumbling block to others. So you have these four sections, and I hope I didn't get you confused by saying three. There was three in the previous chapter that I pointed out why I said that. So we'll deal with it verse by verse as we look at uh, verse 1. It says, uh, Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye, but not to doubtful disputation. He's to be received, but not to argue, and not for... Doubtful disputation. Uh, you know, you wouldn't go out in the garden and hoe up the, the tenderest plant just because it wasn't as big as some other plant in the garden. Say, well, if you don't grow fast or big or strong, we'll just hoe it up and get rid of it. Well, that's the way with, with many Christians. They're tender or maybe they're babes in Christ, we should say. But it says, receive ye, but not to doubtful disputation. You know, there's a lot of times uh, you'll have people in the church that'll criticize those that are weak in faith, and that shouldn't be our policy at all. We ought to be the ones that would strengthen the weak in faith. If you have a weak brother or sister or a new convert in the church, let's be very careful that we do everything that's possible to encourage them and to strengthen them. And if we don't, well, then uh, the first little thing that comes along, they will be drawn out, and then they'll lose their their uh, life as a Christian in the church. They'll be soured. You know, there's a lot of people that just... For some little something that happens in the church, they, they become soured and it's hard to get them back into church, isn't it? And so we don't want to offend the weak in faith. We want to strengthen them and lift them up. It says in verse 2, For one believeth that he may eat all things. He can eat meat, he can eat vegetables, he can eat all things. Now, that doesn't mean you have to eat all things. I know a lot of people eat things that I don't like to eat. I've heard people say, well, do you like rattlesnake meat? Well, I never tried it. They say, well, why don't you try it? I just don't want to. I just got a built-in uh, resistance against some things that maybe some people like. Or raw fish, they like that, raw fish. Well, that's fine and dandy. If you want to eat that, I have no objection. I don't believe it will do you any harm, uh, I, but I, I don't want to be forced to eat it. But one believes that he may eat all things, another uh, who is weak eateth herbs. He, he's strictly a vegetarian. He thinks he cannot eat any meat. Well, 
that's, of course, his opinion. And uh, so the, that one should not uh, criticize the other because one eats meat and the other just eats vegetables. And uh, you have that uh, even in uh, Baptist circles today. And in fundamental Baptists, you'll have those that won't eat certain things. Some of them won't eat any bacon or sausage or pork at all, ham. But uh, look at verse 3. It says, not, Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. And let not him that eateth not judge him that eateth. For God hath received him. In other words, there's no ground for criticizing on either part. We don't criticize a fellow because he doesn't believe in eating certain foods. We do not criticize one because he, he does eat certain things. That's up to him. Whatever pleases his taste and whatever uh, he thanks God for... For the nourishment of his body, well, that's his business. And that's the way we ought to look at it. There's no ground here for criticism. You know, if we put this into practice, uh, it would help a great deal. Who art thou, verse 4, that judgest another man's servant? You see, this man is God's servant, isn't he? Well, why do we judge God's servant? It says, to his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. So, if a man is a servant of God, whether he has certain uh, habits that we do not like or do not approve of or certain habits that we approve of, it's really his business. And before God, he either stands or falls. And I believe that, you know, now some of you may not agree with me on this point, but I believe we as fundamental Baptists sometimes criticize the other fellow too much for personal and things that are really strictly his business. They're just not any of our business. If a man wants to do certain things that are not sinful, if a man wants to do certain things and has certain habits in his life that differ from ours just because it doesn't conform to our way of doing it, doesn't make it wrong. Now, sin is sin in the sight of God. Don't misunderstand me. But a man has to learn to live before his God or her God. And they have to learn to have their fellowship and, and they have to learn to let their conscience uh, guide them in things uh, that are right and wrong. And we have no business standing and criticizing the other fellow because before God he either stands or falls. And that's the one that he has to answer to anyway. One man, look at this, esteemeth one day above another. Another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. Now, you see, some people, they really promote uh, Easter as a great day. We know what Easter stands for. Some promote Christmas Day, which uh, basically and probably came from Catholicism. But we don't know the day of the birth of Christ. We do know the, the time of Easter. We know the resurrection of Christ. And we should commemorate the resurrection of Christ, but not let it stand as the only day that, that, that's important. Because every day for the Christian, he should be reminded of the death and burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Every Lord's Day should signify to us the resurrection of Christ. The first day of the week. Our life itself should signify and speak of and encourage us to think of the resurrection of Christ. We know that it comes once a year as far as the calendar is concerned. That's fine and dandy. It's a good opportunity to preach on Christ's resurrection and the meaning of it. That is faith in Christ's resurrection that we're saved. And this is the guarantee of our eternal uh, our, of our future resurrection and our eternal uh, uh, pre presentation into the eternal presence of Christ, I should say. That's uh, when Jesus comes again, he says. Then he's going to raise the dead. And uh, 
The living believers will be changed. All of this is great and wonderful. And then, of course, at Christmas time, we don't need to qu- uh, squabble and worry and argue about the day, whether Jesus was born in the middle of November or the middle of January or on December the 25th. But it's a time of the year that if we start thinking about the birth of Christ, certainly we can take advantage of that time to preach the birth of Christ, that Jesus came into this world. And not put one day above another, but do recognize the important things, and that is what the Bible teaches about Christ's birth. And the day itself is not that important. But uh, it says, one man esteemeth one day above another. Some people just have to have that day. And it says, another esteemeth every day alike. But it says, let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. Now look at verse 6. It explains it. He that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord. If you regard that day and set it aside, you're regarding it unto the Lord. And he that regardeth not to the to regardeth not the day to the Lord, he doth not regard it. He uh, that eateth eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. He that eateth not to the Lord, he eateth not and giveth God thanks. So everything is regarded as belonging to the Lord, whether it's what we eat or what we do not eat or what day we observe, or what day we do not observe, it's still to the Lord that we should recognize everything. In other words, regard everything as belonging to God, and then we'll be all right. We won't have to worry about a fellow putting one day above another, or putting one kind of food above another, or putting one lesser than the other. We'll just regard it all to the Lord, and every man will be thankful, and every man will be thankful for the day if he regards it to the Lord, and every man will be thankful for every day if he regards every day to the Lord. So it it says, let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. In verse 7 it says, for none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. In other words, we live with one another, and we also live as far as living before the Lord, and we die as dying before the Lord, too. For whether we live, verse 8, we live unto the Lord, and whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. So everything in life, and even unto death, we should regard it as, as in respect or in relation to God. That's the main thing. Our life, notice, live and die and unto the Lord are the important thoughts in these uh, verses. Live, live to the Lord. Die, die to the Lord. And then it says in verse 9, For to this end Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be the uh, Lord both of the dead and living. Now, he is Lord both of the dead and living. And that's why he died, that he might resurrect the dead. And that's why he was resurrected, that he might resurrect the dead and be the Lord, both of the dead and of the living. And then we come to verses 10 through 13, the believer and his uh, judgment of his Christian brother. How should we judge or consider our Christian brother? Verses 10 through 13. But why dost thou set, uh, thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it not thy brother? Do we have any reason to judge our brother? We have no right actually to judge our brother. It doesn't belong to us to make such judgment. You say, well, I see a brother doing this and so. Well, it's not our business to pass judgment because we read in verse uh, 4, before his own master, he either stands or falls. It's God's business. You look back in the book of, uh, or over in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 
And notice what Paul says here in verses 3 through 5. <clears throat> he says, But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you. Paul says, I don't have any business being judged of you or of man's judgment. Not even of man's judgment. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 3. And then it says, Yea, I judge not my own self. Paul would not be judged by others because even of himself he did not consider himself to be a proper judge. For I know nothing by myself, yet am I not hereby justified, just because I don't condemn myself or judge myself. But he that judges me, judgeth me is the Lord. And look in verse 5. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and make manifest the counsels of the heart. And then shall every man have praise of God. Let the Lord take care of that at the judgment seat of Christ. Paul said again in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he has done, whether it be good or bad. So we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Then why do we judge one another? And Paul said again in our text here in Romans 14.10, he says, Why dost thou judge thy brother? Why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So he's speaking of the Christian judgment. And in relation to that Christian judgment, we'll wait till the Lord comes. We'll not judge one another. We'll not even judge ourselves. Paul says, I'm not even a good judge of myself. A lot of times we try to judge ourselves when we're too hard on ourselves. Maybe we're too light on ourselves, too. We can have both, you know, we can be too flexible either way. We say, well, I'm not going to consider that thing uh, uh, wrong. I'm going to go ahead headstrong and... And we, we're not hard enough on ourselves. And then other times, for the least little things, we'll judge ourselves and condemn ourselves for not doing thus and so, when maybe we've done the very best we can. Paul says, I judge not myself. He says, it's a small thing to be judged of other men. Well, so other men should not judge us. Here's our relationship in judging our brother. You know, judgment is a great subject. The judgment seat of Christ, of course, is for Christians. And the Bible tells us and teaches us, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, that our works will be brought up and every man's work will be judged of what sort it is, whether it's like wood, hay and stubble, or gold and silver and precious stone. And the fire is going to burn up some of our works and the fire is going to uh, test and try some of our other works and they're going to come through the fire purified and uh, as gold and silver and precious stones. But if our works are burned up, we'll suffer loss. We won't receive the rewards we would otherwise. Also, in relation to, to our fellowship with our uh, brothers, we've already been reading and discussing in these passages of Scripture. If we are judging our brother and being too hard on him, we're going to have to answer for that at the judgment seat of Christ. So we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Therefore, let us not now, here and now, be at odds with our brother just because we may not agree with him on everything. Let's learn to be more uh, loving and more caring and more encouraging. And we're not talking about something that we know to be an outright sin against the Word of God and against God. Uh, for instance, when Paul told the Corinthians, he says, that man that has committed such a sin among you, he says, you put him out, turn him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. But it was an, a known open sin. We're talking here, as far as judging our brother, about... Uh, trivial matters, things that, 
that can go one way or another. Things that a lot of times are really none of our business. So that's what we ought to be concerned about. Now, it goes on to say, in verse 11, if you have Romans 14, verse 11, For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. Give account of himself to God. So what are, what are we faced with here? Not only every knee of every unbeliever will ultimately bow, it says every knee shall bow, but every Christian will be brought to the place to give an account of himself to God. Both the saved and the lost are going to be held accountable. It doesn't mean at the same time, because Christians will stand before uh, the judgment seat of Christ. But the unsaved will stand before that great white throne judgment, and there they'll have to give an account unto God. You read in the book of Revelation, uh, you read in the, there's a couple of places in the book of Revelation, in chapter uh, 14 and verse 7, it says this, saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment is come and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. And then you read over in the 20th chapter of Revelation. It says in verse 11, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged, the resurrected dead, the wicked dead, out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. We know this is not the Christian judgment because they've already been living and reigning with Christ a thousand years in the early part of this chapter. So it's the judgment of the wicked, isn't it? But every man shall bow, every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess. Every man shall give an account of himself to God. Verse 13, Romans 14, verse 13, back in our passage of Scripture. Always hold your place where we're studying so we can quickly come back to that. Let us not, therefore, judge one another anymore. Let's just quit doing it, huh? That's what Paul is saying. Let's just put a stop to judging one another. But judge this, rather. If we're going to judge anything at all, let's take care that we're not a stumbling block, he said. But judge this, rather, that no man put a stumbling block on an occasion to fall in his brother's way. You see, the believer can be a stumbling block. And it, beginning with verse 14 through 23, he tells us how that that can be. He mentions it here. Really, it could be the beginning of our passage overlapping with verse 13. The believer, a stumbling block to others. But he says, judge concerning this fact of being a stumbling block. You see some of these pictures, movies on TV, and the fellow run out of the house late to work, you know, and the kids put a tricycle or a bicycle in front of the, uh, the steps, and down he goes. Well, that's a stumbling block. Sometimes we can be a stumbling block. And uh, we can cause others to fall just by getting in the way and being in the wrong place at the wrong time, saying and doing the wrong thing. Not doing as we ought to. Not judging, as Paul says here, let us not therefore judge one another anymore. Putting a stop to that will remove the stumbling block. And that's what we're concerned with. Uh, Paul says in verse 14, and he explains what a stumbling block could be to others. And there are many things that might cause others to be offended and might be a stumbling block. Look at verse 14. I know and am persuaded by the Lord, Paul says, by the Lord Jesus, that there is nothing unclean of itself. He says, I'm not worried about whether I eat meat or whether I eat 
uh, certain kinds of meat, or whether I eat vegetables, or what I eat, or whether I regard one day or another day. He says, I'm persuaded by the Lord, by the Lord Jesus, that there's nothing unclean of itself. But he says, but to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. In other words, if a fellow has scruples that uh, they're his conviction and his conscience bothers him about doing certain things or eating certain foods, well then, leave that up to him. That's his business, not yours, not mine. Just let him do that. And we do what the Lord has uh, told us to do. But if a brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably. What is Paul saying here? If a brother is grieved by your eating meat, are you going to deliberately, openly, and defiantly eat that meat before him just because he uh, doesn't like it? No, it says, now walkest thou not charitably. We're, we're to give in in certain cases. We're to try to be loving. Charitably means lovingly. And it means according to love, according to char- charity. It says, destroy not him without meat for whom Christ died. Don't destroy his testimony. Don't destroy, don't uh, cause him a lot of trouble. Just because you have certain convictions that it's all right for you. He said in verse uh, 16, let not then your good be evil spoken of. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. But what is it? He says, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. In other words, he's saying the kingdom of God is not uh, whether you eat meat or do not eat meat. Not what you drink or what you do not drink. But it has to do with spiritual things, not carnal things, not fleshly things. And he says that the kingdom of God is uh, righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Look at that order, would you? Did you know this is always the order in the Bible? You never find these things reversed righteousness and peace and joy. You cannot have peace unless you're righteous. You cannot be righteous apart from faith. Okay, look at Romans chapter 5, verse 1. You don't have to look. Most of you know it. Therefore, being justified by faith, God's righteousness is declared unto us on the basis of our faith. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You go and read down in in Romans, you'll find the joy in the fifth chapter. It says, uh, By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice. What is the happiness about? Where's the joy come in? Because you've already had peace and you've already had righteousness and you had that by faith. And so joy or rejoicing in hope of the glory of God. And it goes on and on. And so the order is a divine order. You read in the third chapter of Romans that you have the righteousness of God by faith. You read Colossians 1.20. It says that Christ made peace for us by the blood of his cross. We have peace with God. Romans 5.1. After we have peace with God, then we go on down and we find that there is joy. Give you a verse of Scripture. Isaiah 32, verse 17. Isaiah 32, verse 17. Listen uh, carefully. Even in the Old Testament, the order is the same. And the work of righteousness shall be peace. And the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance forever. Quietness and assurance surely brings joy, doesn't it? If you have quietness and assurance, you can be happy about that. You can be joyful. So it says, the work of righteousness shall be peace. And it says, and the effect, the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance forever. You find that true everywhere. Look in the, in the 15th chapter in Romans. Over in verse 13, just turn a page, 
in verse 13 of the 15th chapter, it says, now look at this, it's stated in the reverse order here, but it's still the same thing. It says, now the God of hope fill you with joy. You say, preacher, I thought joy, I thought joy was the last thing, that you had to have righteousness and peace. Look at the reverse order, though. That he fill you with joy and peace in believing. Now look, by believing, you have peace, and then what's next? Joy. You see, it's written in the reverse, isn't it? So all joy and peace is by faith or by believing. And it's by the power or through the power of the Holy uh, Ghost, through the power of the Holy Spirit. That you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. But you see, it's stated in the reverse to show us that it's still the, the divine order. That by believing you have peace, and thus, as a result, you have joy. Joy and peace by believing. It's always God's order. You know, there are certain things that are God's order in the Bible. You find, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. We don't find serving God before you worship God. It's never stated, thou shalt serve the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou worship. If we can't worship God, we couldn't serve God. We have to put him first. We have to put him first in our hearts and in our minds and in our spirit and in our being. And then we're ready and being prepared to serve God. And you'll find that that's what Jesus said to Satan in the great temptation. He said, it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou serve. Okay, <clears throat> let's go on. Verse 19, it says, let us therefore follow after, follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. What are, what are we as Christians to follow after? This is opposed to stirring up strife or contention. Instead of stirring up something that causes people to be at odds, we're to follow after the things that make for peace and things wherewith one may edify or build up or encourage or strengthen another. Isn't that a wonderful verse of Scripture? You know, God has it all fixed out for us if we'd follow His teaching. You know, I've, I've seen a lot of folks that just want to stir up trouble all the time. They, they just seem like they're not happy unless they're unhappy. They seem like they cannot get along unless something's wrong. I can get along better if everything's right. I can get along better if I'm not having any conflict with anyone. I'm get, I can get along better if there's not any contention or confusion. If we can edify and strengthen one another, I'm happy about that. But I don't like for any brother or sister in the church to feel feel uh, uh, like I've hurt their feelings or feel like I've done something wrong. I want to do what's right. I believe we ought to, as Christians, desire to do this and follow after the things which make for peace. That doesn't mean that we don't make mistakes. That doesn't mean that we don't sometimes do things that offend others in spite of what we do, try to do not to do. Not to offend, but still we ought to be following after the things that make for peace. Sometimes our mistakes are just, they just catch up with us. All of our faults and failures. Sometimes when we try to do good, we're like Paul. He says, when I would do good, evil is present with me. And he says, I don't always do what I want to do. And we don't do not either, even as Paul spoke. But uh, we can try and we can follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. Now, he goes on to say in verse 20, For meat destroy not the work of God. He brings up the subject again of meat. In fact, it's a continuation, but he's thrown in a lot of spiritual help along the way, is what he's done, about being a stumbling block in relation to eating meat or not eating meat. For meat destroy not the work of God. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for that man who eateth with offense. A man 
can't eat meat with a clear conscience, then it's evil for him to do it. And I've known some of our fundamental Baptist brethren that had to make draw lines along that line. But still, uh, I eat bacon of the morning. Once in a while, if I can afford it, I'll eat sausage and ham <laughs> if I can afford that. And I don't feel bad about it. Sometimes it's not the best thing you can eat. I don't say it's the best food that you should have. Maybe uh, some just eating meat, any kind of meat, offends others. There are some people that claim you have to be a complete vegetarian to be, to be living right. But the Bible doesn't say that here. Paul says a man can be uh, a vegetarian, eat herbs, or he can eat meat, and we're not to judge one another on this account, are we? And yet we're not to offend one another in this matter of eating either. We're not to be offending. And Paul makes it very strong in another place, and we'll look at it in just a moment. In verse 21 he says, It is good, it's good. He doesn't say it's a law, a written down law that you have to abide by, but he says it is good neither to eat flesh nor to drink wine nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth or is offended. In other words, it's better if you do not offend your brother. He says it's good not to to eat the flesh or drink wine or anything whereby thy brother stumbleth or is offended or is made weak if it caused him to be made weak. In other words, we are our brother's keeper in a certain sense of the word, aren't we? We are responsible for our brother. And if you turn to, let's see, I believe it's First uh, Corinthians chapter 8, verse 13. First Corinthians 8, verse 13 says this. Paul makes it very strong in this verse. Wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. If what he was going to eat uh, would cause his brother to offend, he would not eat any meat. I heard one preacher say, uh, I'm always reminded of it when I quote that scripture, Brother Roy Johnson, he used to say, well, if, if meat causes my brother to offend, I'll quit eating meat and start eating, start eating pork and beans. Because there's no meat there, right? You sure won't offend your brother that. But anyway, that may just be a name they give those things instead of actually what's in the can. But... Uh, Paul makes it very strong that it's good, it's good not to try to, not to offend your brother. It's a good thing. Back in our text, verse 21. So in verse 22 it says, Hast thou faith? Do you eat by faith? Do you live by faith? Do you observe days by faith? Or, or observe every day alike by faith and recognize that all is coming from God? Whether you're a vegetarian or a meat eater, whichever you do, do you just have faith before God and live in that way? individually before God. Have it to thyself before God. That's the main thing. Let, let your own conscience and let your own convictions determine how you live and regard the day or not regard the day or how you eat, whether you eat meat or whether you do not eat meat. But the main thing, let's not let our privileges, our rights, be an offense to other people and let's sometimes try to do that which is uh, really good in not causing any problem with them. It is good neither to eat flesh nor to drink wine nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth or is offended. So judge this rather that no one put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall. That's back in verse 13 in his brother's way. So let's try to consider the other fellow. And if we have faith, let's have it before God. It, in verse 22, the latter part, Happy is he that condemneth not himself in the thing which he alloweth. You, you're not self-condemning in that thing which you allow. And we don't mean in allowing things that are 
uh, sinful. We're talking about the things which you have a conviction in your heart that there's nothing wrong with you doing that. And you're not talking about the brother doing that. You're talking about you yourself and your relationship to God. And it says you're happy if you're not condemning yourself in the thing which you allow. And the thing which you allow should agree with your uh, convictions on the inside. That you allow only that which you're convicted and convinced of in your heart. There's nothing wrong with it for you to do that. So it says in verse 23, And he that doubteth is damned. He's condemned if he eat. If a man is doubtful about it, if he puts a, dis- a difference between meats, discerns. If you have a marginal reference, it says doubteth, discerneth and putteth a difference between meats. If he makes a distinction about what kind of meat he is able to eat. It says he is damned, and the word means that he's condemned. He's condemned in his own heart if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not... Of faith is sin. He already has the answer as to whether he should or should not. Someone comes to you. Many times people come to me and uh, they'll say, Well, Brother Joyce, is it right for me to do thus and so? Well, there's a doubt in their mind or they wouldn't have come, usually. They wouldn't have asked. You see, if you've got that doubt in your mind, then probably it's best you don't do it. Now then, the Lord will tell you whether it's right or wrong for you to do it. And if he tells you it's all right, I'm not going to... Uh, contradict what the Lord says to you. I'm not going to argue with your convictions between you and God. And so it's a matter of personal, inward conviction, some of these things that we're talking about. If it's wrong for you to eat some of the things that I would eat, well, don't eat them. But don't judge me because I do eat it. Right? We should not judge one another on the basis of these things. Some of them are personal matters and personal convictions. And this is where the Christian should have a little uh, discernment and judgment. In chapter 15, verse 1, We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. As far as is possible, let's try to so live with our weak brother and so uh, strengthen him and bear his infirmities that even if we're not pleased, even if it doesn't please us to do without meat or to, uh, to uh, do certain things that he likes to do, if we can do it without offending our, uh, without being convicted in our own conscience that it's wrong, if we can have a clear conscience in either way, let's do it for his good and try to do it for his benefit, that we not please ourselves in the matter. We could say, well, fellow, now, if you don't like me eating meat, I'm going to go ahead and eat it anyway because that's my business and not yours. Let's try to strengthen him and not to please ourselves. If it's going to offend him sometime, well, let's just do without it. Say, well, if you're eating vegetables, that's what I'll eat. Whatever you put on the table, we'll, we'll eat vegetables together. And then when I go home and you're not around and I'm not going to offend you, I'll eat meat if I want to. Right? So, it says we're not to, we, we're to bear the infirmities of the weak. We're to strengthen them and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. Now, and there might be a certain brother that you could uh, speak to and say, well, I never have found it wrong to eat meat, and if, if you find it wrong, I won't eat it in your presence, and I won't offend you by it. But uh, I, don't, I don't think that uh, you might suggest to him and say, well, you might find that it's all right for you to eat meat. And he might uh, think about your freedom and say, well, if it's all right for Brother Joyce to eat meat and and some of the other brethren in the church, well, maybe I don't have to be a vegetarian either. Maybe, maybe I can do that with a clear conscience. And it might even cause him to 
to understand that he can uh, even eat meat and still thank God for it and, and be happy about it and not consider himself to have to stay on a vegetarian diet. But regardless of what we do, let us do it for his good to edification, even if we have to do without it, whether we do or do not. It says, for even Christ pleased not himself. Jesus didn't please himself in all things, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. Jesus let all the reproaches against God fall upon himself. He says, whatever you've got to say against my Father and against uh, my God, he says, let it fall on me. The reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. And he was willing not to please himself in that respect. We'll pick up with the fourth verse, Romans 15, verse 